Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I am Randy Baker's sidekick. And his name is Dr. Kent. And I am Dr. Kent's fall guy. My name is Randy Baker. We like to talk to a whole variety of people. Today we're, I guess, zooming across the pond again. I think we've been going back and forth between the UK and the US. That's so tiring. Yeah. yeah. My arms are getting tired. Three times a day sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But we're talking to um, Sharath Jeevan. Jeevan? Don't ask me. That's one of the questions we should have asked him, how to pronounce his last name. But Sharath, we definitely talked about his first name, which he says not many people have. So I, now I'm lucky to know two Sharaths, which is a real pleasure. And Sharath is a true giant in the motivation world. Now, not motivation like Tony Robbins, real motivation. I like that. And not giant like me, but but more like, well, not, well like you. Yeah, not giant like Tony Robbins either. Yeah, he's also giant. He, apparently, he's my height, but his hands are like the size of my face. So, so <laughs> Sharath had just released a book around the world. It was really fun to catch up with him. And we had talked in the past and so on. But one of the fun things about people who are on media junkets, I like that word, is that they they have talking points. So it was really fun to kind of see his talking points, but then also see him kind of venture into, you know, his childhood and his current work and all of that. And it's only, it's only natural, Dr. Kent, when you're, when you're spending most of your waking moments doing interviews, talking to businesses, talking to universities, pitching your book, explaining what it's about. And it's only natural to fall back into that into that pitch speak. Uh, it was quite. It was really interesting in this interview watching Sharath move from that into personal speak. Sometimes he would want to go back there, but the guy is really interesting, and he's got some very deep thoughts that we should all practice thinking about. So we won't keep this podcast intrinsic. We'll go ahead and share it with you. Here's our interview with Sharath Jeevan. Hello, Sharath. It's been a little while since we saw you. Uh, I have to say, uh, you came wearing a big smile today. Is that because you saw our faces, or is that because um, good things are happening in your life? No, of course, because of your faces, Kenton and Randy as well. But <laughs> yeah, no, alongside that, no, it's just been my my book came out in, in most countries about six weeks ago. It's called Intrinsic, and it's just been a really busy period uh, trying to get out, talking about the book to various audiences, talk to groups from you know Cambridge University all the way through to leading corporates. It's been a very uh, diverse mix of, of, of folks. But because the book, it's all about how we can reignite our inner drive. It's had such broad appeal. It's been so nice getting into conversations and seeing the ideas resonate and, and hopefully make a small difference in people's lives as well, I hope. So, I mean, that was that was the shortest interview ever. <laughs> and nice to speak with you. And <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's go all the way back. Mm. So little Sharath kind of grabbing his mother's leg or, or whatever you were wont to do at two or three years old. Were you already thinking about sort of intrinsic motivation? No, absolutely not, Ken. No. So I, I was I was probably the more the other end of the spectrum. I, I think I was raised in a very extrinsic way. I'm the son of Indian immigrants, the UK and 
I think it was like any immigrant family, there was a huge value on on security, especially in a new environment. Right? And so I think I, I felt a lot of pressure to jump through conventional hoops. I went to Cambridge University. I studied economics. I started my my career in, in the world of management consulting and the corporate world. But I, I think I, I sort of realized, I think, quite early on that I didn't feel a deeper purpose in what I was doing. I couldn't always see how what I did helped and served others as deeply as I would like. And I think that allowed me to explore um, this idea of could I make a bigger difference in the in the social sector? And I spent the last 15 years founding two uh, uh, nonprofit organizations focused on education, one in the UK and one in, in emerging countries. And um, just the, the, last, the last 10 years have been all about trying to help teachers in government schools around the emerging world find their motivation again. And I think through just going to that practical experience, I got fascinated by these concepts of intrinsic motivation to, to sort of answer your question. And it was a, almost a marriage by accident rather than one by design. Well, a marriage by accident. That's funny. Uh, I like that. <laughs> that makes me think of funny reality television or something like, oops, I'm married. <laughs> so kids today, I'll go there so Randy doesn't have to. <laughs> but there's the, the motivation. I mean, is it Google that, that makes it so they don't have to be motivated? Is it helicopter parents? Is it because I'm, I'm driven, I, I'm motivated, but people even you know, 10, 15 years younger than me, there's a different, it's like a different programming. Do you see it that way? Or what's, what's your view of the way the world is these uh, days? Yeah, you know, that was a really key theme in my book, um, Ken, Intrinsic, it, just this idea that we're, I think so many of our young people, our children, are sleepwalking through life. And it's so tough. And I actually think, and I did a lot of research in the book, I talked to many experts around the world. And my increasing sense is that it's actually, I think we as parents, I'm the parent, I should say, of a 10 and a seven-year-old, both, both boys, I think we are largely to blame for this, right? And I think it's these helicopter parenting styles you mentioned, they're actually deeply harmful for our children. They look like they're helping, and we may feel reassured, but actually we're, we're almost spoon-feeding with so much stuff and, and constructing their lives to such a great degree, we're not giving them room to find their own purpose, autonomy, and mastery. They can't see how what they're doing helps and serves others very clearly. We, we sort of suffocate them with the support and, and love so they don't feel they're in control of their lives. And they don't feel an opportunity to get better and to really become the best versions of themselves they can be because of all this. And I think that's you know, leading to, if you look at Palo Alto, which I talked about in the book, Suicides, where you know the Caltrain had to have armed guards on it for a while to stop kids throwing themselves on the tracks, and these were rich kids, right? The kids at the top 1% of America's elite, all the way through to a lot of kids, I think, having these incredibly high rates of anxiety. British kids, for example, have the highest rate of anxiety in the whole of Europe right now, because there's that fear of failure. And they're so worried about disappointing, you know, parental expectations at the core. I think we've got to move away from this extrinsic pressure and, and social media has really made that, that external pressure even more acute and help them find their inner compass and find what really drives them individually and uniquely. So I have to say, just because the listeners can't see you, you've got this amazing filter over your face where you look like a panda bear. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry. Randy, take over. Okay, so um, panda pandemonium. Um, yeah. So I, I want to I pursue the kid discussion a little bit further. Two things I've noticed. Uh, 
I, I believe very strongly that motivation will get people started on something, but it won't keep them there. It's, it's habits that will keep them there. Kids today are motivated to try something, but they're not given the time to learn how to do it and create the habits that keep them doing it. I was thinking about my seven-year-old grandson who will do anything until it gets hard and then he will stop doing it. How do we how do we motivate beyond that getting hard part? Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a great point, Randy. And, and I think the, the the trick, if you like, is to make the get the hard part actually motivating. And I think what we know about flow, and I know that you know the founder of that whole concept passed away. I think last week, very sadly. But but we know that when kids experience a deep sense of flow, you almost have to pat them on the back and you know shake their shoulders to wake them up. Right? They're so immersed and studies of four-year-olds, right, with Lego or building something. You know, I think flow and engagement are actually very natural things for kids. What we have done with our school systems and our parenting models is to destroy all that natural sense of, of engagement. And I think we're learning that deep engagement in something matters more and more. Because if you engage deeply, it doesn't matter whether you succeed or not or whether you end up doing that thing long-term or not, you develop all these transferable skills around curiosity, critical thinking, communication, resilience, you know, sustaining motivation that are going to be important for whatever else you do. So I think the key is to sort of allow kids freedom to find that thing. Once they get in to start doing that thing, for example, not to put a lot of extrinsic or external pressure on them. So just to give an, an example, um, my son initially was a, was a very keen tennis player. He now loves cricket. He's taking it very seriously. But the Lawn Tennis Association in the UK, they stopped some of the competitive point scoring they used to do, right, for rankings and so on, because they wanted to make the game fun. And I was talking in the book about how many parents freaked out on WhatsApp saying, look, without the rankings, my, my son or daughter will, will not play tennis anymore, right? They've, it almost become, that becomes the treadmill they want to go through. That's, that's competition driving us rather than deep mastery. And mastery is inwardly focused. It's about being the best versions of ourselves we can be. How do we try and reorientate um, everything towards that inner mastery is something we should all be thinking of as parents. So entrepreneurs and executives and children, they all throw fits, are kind of egotistical, and it's their way or the highway. So I don't know, should we all be acting more like kids uh, or less like them? Or what's your take on that? I think there's such an interesting thing. So I think one of the ideas in the book, Kent, was that the world we're in is more and more wicked. And by wicked, I mean, you know, the real solutions, the new breakthroughs we'll need don't have easy technical solutions. So getting, you know, Elon Musk, SpaceX, it's a huge achievement, no question. But it was a kind problem in the sense that ultimately there was a way of programming a probe to, to go to Mars and get there. Within days of, of, of SpaceX, Black Lives Matter erupts across the US and around the world racial injustice, inequality, all those questions, um, there's no easy fix, right? There's no single technical solution. The world where we live in now, the main breakthrough is going to be in the wicked world. And there's a high um, chance of failing, right? We try and attack something like that. We'll never fully solve these problems. And just give an example, I spent 10 years trying to focus on this question of education inequality and in, in emerging countries and how to help teachers find their motivation. So, you know, we reached about 35,000 schools, about you know, 7 million children, but there was no easy fix either. 
But what matters, I think, is that sense of, of, of really contributing to a wider problem, to feeling you're making at least a small dent in that problem, and learning and growing along the way, and having that very clear sense of purpose. So I think that's true for entrepreneurs. And I, you know, just take an example, we know that in Silicon Valley, the average time to exit a company has increased by about 40% over the last 15 years. So staying power, I go back to what you said, Randy, about kids, there's a very strong parallel. Entrepreneurs now, they, they can't, there's, that quick exit is no longer that easy because of big tech and so on. They've got to instead really love what they do and be passionate about the problem they're solving. Their solution might change, but they've got to be deeply in love with the broader problem. So there's a lot of parallels. And I think we get the, the childhood piece right and our school systems right and our parenting right will all be so much better equipped for the longer term. So one more question down that line, which, you know, I have, I'm like young people, I think I know everything because I have Google. Uh, and so I used uh, my, my omniscient uh, <laughs> Google ability and I looked up your name, your first name, and you have to, you know, you have to explain it to me, but I, I had a good friend named Sharath years ago. And apparently it means light or season or autumn or whatever. First off, is that true? Is that approximately? Yeah, it has various meanings in different languages. It's not a very common name, actually, uh, Ken. So I'm really uh, pleased you've got a namesake friend as well. But um, yeah, no, I think seasons is probably the best sort of example, I think, but the closest analogy to it. So the reason I wanted to talk about that is that you are very aware of human existence being fleeting. And I've been thinking lately about where this, you know, bag of bones and whatever walking through the world and we get a lot more wise as we get older and we carry this wisdom and we have to dump it somewhere. We got to get it into society or we got to get it into other people or we got to do something, right? Some of us are obsessed with that. You're one of those. You've <laughs> influenced many millions of kids, which is awesome. And, and now corporations and your book and the readers. But what is your sort of fleeting season of life kind of good for? Or how do you see human existence? How do you see where the world is going? Oh, that's a big question, Ken. Yeah, it's a big question. Let me just take maybe one a smaller kind of bite of that question. And I think what I, what I found was there are a lot of people out there, Ken, like who are who were doers, right? Who were talent owners in a way, right? They had an idea, they had a, they were driving something, a business or a organization. There were very few nurturers out there. And I talk in the book about nurturing and this idea of, of nurturers being that those kind of people who take us to places we wouldn't have got to otherwise. We can probably all think of a teacher, a mentor, a manager, someone who played that role in our lives. And what I, what I observed in the book was that we have this sort of um, asymmetry, right? We have a lot of people wanting to be successful wanting to find their, the best versions of themselves, but very few people are out there able to help them realize that vision. And I, I said, you know, as a result of the research of the book, I want to spend the next, um, my next decade really being a nurturer to others. So what I do is I run a lab now called Intrinsic Labs. We, we basically nurture a whole range of organizations across sectors from the corporate world all the way to education, you know, leading universities, all the way to governments and foundations and help them bring these motivation ideas and thinking into how they operate to deepen engagement. It could be with employees or students or citizens or beneficiaries or poor communities, whatever they, they work in. How do we help them all be more effective and, and weave this way of thinking? And what we're moving to really is building a very strong peer network now uh, of members who learn as much from uh, them, themselves as they do from, from me. They learn together and I learn from them more and more, which is the, 
the really exciting thing and the right nice way to to evolve. So, Sharath, I I love the idea of organization, organizational motivation, but is such a thing real? Each individual, in my experience, is motivated by something different. Can an organization create some method of motivating the entire workforce, the entire company, and all the stakeholders to move in the same direction? Is that is that real or is that just propaganda driving results? Yeah, so I, I think it's very real, uh, Randy. It is possible. It's not always that common. I think I'm on a big mission to help more organizations find that unique purpose. So too often we read a company mission statement and it sounds, you know, like some, you know, some, some marketing guy went in or go and helped them craft it. I'm a big believer in organizations having a positioning uh, that's very, very different. It's very unique to them. And if you talk to any VC in Silicon Valley now, for example, they don't want, you know, a little bit more of the same. They want something that's genuinely distinctive, a new category, a new idea, a new way of looking at the world. I think the challenge is that once the company does that, it takes some courage, the leaders of the organization or the company have got to have the courage to articulate that and stand by it and then help every employer and every stakeholder, it could be a, a customer or a supplier, see how their own sense of purpose, that sense of helping and serving others, links to that broader vision of the company. And I think, you know, we talked about accidental marriages, but I think that there are these purposeful marriages where our sense of purpose is aligned really nicely with that of our organization. And that leads to what I'd call a great tour of duty, where the, whatever we spent five years or 10 years, or if it's two years, it really feels like we both know why we're there. The organization knows why, what, what the value they're getting from us and why we're aligned to what they do. But equally, we understand how the organization is helping us develop and grow in a way that will help our long-term career, which might be outside of the organization longer term. But there's that gelling of purpose over that period and that tour of duty. Obviously, we're seeing that more obviously post-COVID and with the great resignation, people are saying, I no longer align with my employer's purpose. It's time to move on. Do you see this game of musical chairs continuing for some time or, or is it, are people going to settle down and become more accepting of a role that doesn't necessarily meet their personal objectives. Yeah, I looked at this in the book, Randy, and I found this whole question of, you know, there's a whole philosophy that young people have this a lot, millennials have this a lot in the workforce, that work is a way of paying the bills. It's a hygiene factor, right? You do it, but really all the action happens outside. I've got a, I've got a side hustle. I've got a big passion I do outside work. I just don't think it holds up. I looked at, say, Sweden, in a country where less than 1% of Swedes work more than 50 hours a week. And yet the rate of clinical depression in the workforce in Sweden has been climbing astronomically. So what I found from all this, you know, if you look at retired people, people who retire but then do something active in the world of work are far happier than those who retire for the golf course or the, 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 the yacht or the, um, uh, the cruise ship. So I think that idea of, you know, we all want to help and serve others through our work, it's become one of the main ways in life we can contribute more broadly. I, I think this idea of treading water at work is really dangerous. We've got to find meaning and, and purpose in it. And I, th I really hope that we can help many, many more employers create the culture where every employee can feel like their, their motivation and talents are recognized and nurtured. I think it's possible. It doesn't take a huge amount of money. It just looks. It takes a different leadership mindset and some different mental models to to embed that in the culture of an organization. So, 
back when you were a kid and there were extrinsic forces around you, which, you know, a, a, a lot of us humans grow up with that. What did you dream that your life would become? And have you gotten there in some ways? And in other ways, where are you going with the rest of your uh, legacy in your life and work? Yeah, I'm not sure what I, what I, what I thought. I, I guess there was pressure to be, to be, to be a doctor. Uh, again, I'm not a doctor. To be um, a, to marry a South Indian uh, girl. I'm married to a Moroccan. My wife is Moroccan, I should say. I think most of those things have been pretty much hit out of the sort of, um, have not happened. But I think what, what's been much more interesting, I think I spent maybe 20, 25, maybe 30 years of my life really thinking about life like a deferred gratification program, right? Where if I do well in school, I'll go to the right college or university. I did that. If I go to the great university, I'll go to a great job. And then life is said. And what you realize, I think you realize two things. One is even in these great places like Cambridge University, there are lots of people who are deeply anxious and having lots of problems. And the second thing you learn is that that, that doesn't always give deep fulfillment in its own right, right? Unless you know why you're there at the university and use it in the right way to find your own own purpose. So I think that idea that there's a ladder of safety out there that you kind of climb onto, I think is, is nonsense, right? We know the world is a rocky place, no matter how, you know, whatever, wherever we went to school or university or what job we had. And the pandemic has really showed that. I think the key is to really enjoy the zigzag of life. It's not a straight line, it's a zigzag. How do we enjoy that and be deeply engaged in that and enjoy almost the, the unpredictability that life throws us as, as the last 20 months have? and find motivation in helping others through those times as well. So I'd say that for me, it's been a really profound shift from my motivation being external or extrinsic to being much more driven by, by intrinsic or internal factors and these ideas of purpose, autonomy and mastery for me personally. Sharath, is there a, a dichotomy here? Business is all about generating, generating money, financial instruments, increasing the wealth of everybody in the world is effectively what is going to happen. It's going to be failures along the way. It's going to be successes. But that is driven predominantly by the harder type skills. What you're talking about with motivation are the softer skills, but is there a, is there a, a connection? Does one drive the other? How do we resolve the I'm doing what fulfills me with I'm doing what fulfills the world financially. Yeah, I think what we're learning about financial metrics, right? And the metrics overall or outcomes is that the best way to achieve financial success may not be to directly target financial success. So if you try, for example, to obsessively worry about a share, let's say you're the CEO of a, of a S&P 500 company, and you're looking every minute or every day, at least at the share price, that's probably not a great thing to do. Because what we know is that what really matters is process indicators or outcomes that tell us if we're on track for long-term performance, and, and that will lead to a good share price. If you look at some of the biggest, you know, Amazon as an example, Bezos was a relentless you know, believer in actually not looking at the share price day-to-day, but tracking, you know, customer satisfaction, success, repeat buying, because his belief with that, and look what happened, of course, with Amazon. So I think that idea, what we're seeing in the business world is that I think if we're motivated by the the, the joy of the journey itself and in that Amazon is providing a fantastic customer experience, we'll, we should know it, unless we're unlucky, in general, that's gonna to lead to very strong financial success. So no one's saying the financial success is not important. We need to make sure that 
you know, those of us who have pensions and so on, that we can live in the future, all these things matter a lot. But that doesn't mean we need to have the short-termist behavior that we've seen, which can actually, in a way, destroy motivation, but also lead to poor financial returns as well. So it's a better way where we can have the best of both. So you were talking just a few minutes ago about deferred gratification being the old way. When I look around me, I see instant gratification being the new way. And that seems to me to be almost as as rocky a path, as rocky a, a destination as the old way. So how do we get the pendulum to swing to, to the middle where we're nice and balanced? Yeah, I think it's it's a tricky one. I think so. I think there's this really interesting thing I've learned about people who are deeply motivated, Randy. One, they do have that north star. They're obsessed by that the idea of a wicked problem, and they want to see that they kind of use that as a, as a long term source of motivation. So that long term sense is important, but they also want to see day by day um, that purpose being reinforced, that sense of autonomy, and also getting that bit better every day. And I think millennials, especially because we're so you know gamified nowadays. They want to see, and that's maybe going back to your point about habits, we can do a lot as employers to make employees feel genuinely like they are progressing and improving in some of these skills. It could be through reflecting with others. It could be through uh, discussions with others, you know, showing what they're doing, etc. So I think there's ways to both have short-term fulfillment and a, a sense of progress, but remembering that the North Star is that longer-term wicked problem that you're you're deeply motivated by. I think you can bring both. It just takes... Good, good organizational cultures to bring both out, but I don't think they're in conflict with each other. Sharath, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you. I think um, we sort of kicked the tires on a few things there, and it's clear that you have so much wisdom and so much knowledge and, uh, and heart around all of these issues. And congratulations on your book release and the success it's had. And uh, we hope our, our listeners will go out and buy that. Um, so if you would tell us kind of where folks can find it, where people can hear you, find you, sign up, all of those things, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks again. Um, so please look up intrinsiclabs.com. Uh, and you see details of the books on Amazon and other other sites in most countries at the moment. And it's called Intrinsic. And then, yeah, please connect with me on LinkedIn. My my, my, my name on, and my Twitter handle is uh, SharathJeevan underscore. But love to continue the conversation. I'm really passionate about building a, a long-term movement and conversation around these topics and love to hear from listeners about how they're experiencing them as well. It's been a real pleasure, uh, as always. Thanks again. Thanks, Randy. Thank you, Sharath. I really enjoyed our time with you. If it had been up to me, I would have loved to have kept talking because you have a way of tackling the thought process a little bit differently to what I've heard before, but you have a calm manner, you have a lot of interesting things to say, and you certainly challenge my thinking. Yet again, I come back as the as the trained media and marketing and, and book guy. It was beautiful to watch. It was almost like watching a boxing match. It's beautiful to watch your feet move, Sharath, in terms of we'd throw questions at you, you'd field them, answer them and then pull it right back into your book which was masterfully and beautifully done could be a sort of a, a master class on doing that and it was really fun to watch so at the end of all of this if you want to be motivated perhaps you need to connect with sharath if you want to be motivated in a different way you can connect with um, dr kent at thoughtpartnergroup.com he's got some thoughts 
I think he means that in a good way, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but you can you can also find out more about Randy uh, if you go to resonateengine.com. He's the engine, I'm the resonate, and we'll see you the next time. Mm-hmm.